Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 50 of Yogaland. I am so excited to finally land on episode 50. I remember when I started the podcast, thinking about a year ahead of time or 50 episodes in felt really far away. And so it's exciting to, to get here. And, you know, I think the other thing is when I started the podcast, I had no idea if anyone would listen. (laughs) I didn't know if it would have legs. I didn't know if it would resonate with people. And I've just been so thrilled to hear from everyone and to feel like a community is forming. So I just, I appreciate all of your comments. I appreciate all the interactions that we have and we want to start doing some live events. So hopefully we can start, I can start meeting you guys in person. I know often Jason gets to meet you, but I would like to as well. So my guest on for today's episode is very fittingly, it's Jason Crandall, my husband, And we decided to focus on one reader question this time and dive a little bit more deeply into it. The question came from our listener and friend of the podcast, Kat. And the question has to do with how to manage different levels of students in an all levels class. And when I brought up this question as a possibility with Jason, he was basically jumping up and down like this is such a common issue. And I have so many thoughts about this. So it's a great episode for teachers and students alike. I felt like I learned something from the episode. We talk a lot about kind of our mental notions and and thoughts that come up when we are in a position of not being able to do the quote unquote hardest or peak pose in a specific class or sequence. It's a teacher focused podcast, but I think it's really helpful for anyone. I wanted to mention that if you want to study with Jason in person. He will be at Love Story Yoga doing the third module of his 300-hour training. So it's a 100-hour training this summer in San Francisco at Love Story Yoga from July 10th through the 22nd. If you want more details, you can go to lovestoryyoga.com slash training. And you'll also see that Stephanie Snyder is uh, leading a 200-hour training this fall and Steph and Jason are really amazing compliments to each other. They, they bring different things to the table and I think they just, just work really well together. So if you are interested, if you're, if you haven't even started teaching it and you want an entry level training, Steph is doing that at Love Story this summer. Okay. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm well, how are you? (laughs) Let's get through the formalities, shall we? Okay, so we have a question from Kat today. Kat's question is, she wants to know the best way to handle mixed-level classes. She generally teaches mixed-level classes. We all do. Yeah, but some of them are marketed as power. She says, I like to offer arm balances, inversions, etc. if people want to play. However, I sometimes struggle to know how to handle the whole class. I hate to leave my less experienced yogis just hanging around while I talk through the more advanced poses. So I'm unsure whether to encourage them to join and try or give them an alternative. Can someone else answer this and tell me what to do? Because I've been teaching 20 years and I'm not quite sure how to do this perfectly. So it's not an easy answer. It's never an easy answer. And so the first thing I want to do is I want to assure all our listeners that this is one of the inherent systemic challenges of being a yoga teacher. I like to think about for a moment if everyone 
was a teacher of a different subject. Imagine you were teaching mathematics or you were teaching history, but let's say mathematics. Which you like to call math. Only because I like to think I'm a little European. <laughs> exactly. But I'm really Just a not. touch. It's just the Midwest part of me. Yeah. Anyways, so in mathematics, imagine you were trying to teach math and you were teaching math five nights a week for 90 minutes and it was drop in open levels maths class. <laughs> And there were no prerequisites and it was mixed level. That is kind of insane when it's you totally think about insane. it that way. It's totally insane. Because one of the things we have to remember is yoga is actually a darshan. It's a belief system. It's a worldview. It is a subject matter. So teaching yoga is different than teaching math, of course, but they're both subjects. And if you just said, I'm going to teach an open level mathematics class, come as you are. You have some people that come that have calculus experience. You have some people that come with statistics experience. You have some people come like me that don't understand how to multiply fractions and don't really understand to this point how you can multiply something and end up with less. And then you have other people that have never done addition subtraction. How well are you going to teach everyone in that class? It's remarkably difficult. I mm -hmm. think that this is the biggest contemporary challenge that yoga teachers have mm -hmm. is how to teach a subject matter in a context where you don't have any structure to identify where you should go given, given what you already know. Right. Okay. So it's really, really, really extremely difficult, but that's the reality that we're living in. And I also want to let everyone know and just sort of have some commiseration might be overly negative, but I want everyone to know every class is a mixed level class, whether we call it mixed levels or not. A beginner's class is still mixed level because you don't only have different levels of experience coming to class, but you have different body types. Mm -hmm. You have different exposure to physicality in their background. I might be teaching a beginner's level class and I might have someone in their 60s who have some physical injuries or some complexities and are not in high level condition. I might have other, you know, 20 something year olds who are totally new to yoga. So they are beginners, but they're in amazing physical shape. They right. just come from the CrossFit gym. So, or they have a dance background. Or they have a or, dance yeah. background, right? Yeah. Or in teacher trainings, you know, like all the teacher training programs that I teach, even the advanced teacher training programs that I teach, there's still a big range of physical ability and, and mental engagement with the process. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to surrender to the nature that all classes really are mixed level classes. And we have to understand and have compassion for ourselves that this is a structural challenge that we all face. Those are steps one and steps two. Mm -hmm. And then I think step three in that is given this situation, we have to surrender, 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 surrender. We have to follow the yoga teachings of do your best and let go. Because there's no way that going back to this mathematics class situation, there's no way we can perfectly address everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. We, I have some strategies, okay? So it's not, I don't want this to be like, uh, good luck, it's never going to happen. Let it go. Say la vie. But to just know as yoga teachers that you don't have to be a superhero. You're not going to make sure that everyone has this perfect experience. 
that is relative to their own level in every class all the time. It's yeah. just it's just not possible to do. It's right. just not possible to do. And so we we have to work hard and be focused and do our best. But we also have to take a little bit of that pressure off and just to know that this is a very complicated situation that we're in. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, like, I mean, the one upside to the mathematics comparison is most of us learned maths. I like to say maths now, too. Involuntarily, we were forced into a classroom. Yeah. People who are coming to your class are coming voluntarily. They want to learn. And if they find that something is over their head or they're just feeling pressured, there's a yoga studio on most corners in most towns. <laughs> At this point, there are other options for them. There are other options for them. So but that even might take pressure off. Agreed. But even before then, I think the first way to start to think about this, because one of the biggest challenges as a yoga teacher that we face is in the way that Kat framed the question is... We don't want the people that have less physical ability to feel isolated or left out or unincluded. Of course. Yeah. Right. Right. But here's the thing that I want to say to that, which is to start by saying we don't want to assume that the person that isn't able to do the thing feels unincluded. We might want to assume that that person respects the process well enough. To understand that on day one or two or three or a hundred, that they're not able to do everything and that there's a learning curve involved. Yeah. You know? They might not even have the awareness. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made as an as a young teacher was trying to assist the like bulky men who couldn't get into pigeon pose at all, like trying too much to help them by propping them. And they would just look at me like, leave me alone. They, often <laughs> they didn't want attention called, which I now I get it. Yeah, so I absolutely and we can get more to that. And my thought, you know, I, I look back, I look back and I reflect on my life and other physical experiences. And I remember when I was skateboarding a ton, when I would go skateboarding with people that were better than me, did I want to be able to do what the people that were better than me were doing? Yes. Did I kick stones and quit because I couldn't? No, I understood that that was part of the process. I understood that there's a learning curve. And as teachers, we have to we have to trust the ability for our students to understand that this is a learning environment and they're not going to be able to do everything. They're not going to be able to do everything. And we have to and we have to teach that. And one of the things that I say and a, a tip that I give all the time to manage this is those of you that aren't able to do this. Remember right now, that's a good thing. That means you're learning. Those of you that are able to do this, enjoy it. Those of you that aren't able to do this, acknowledge that, that you're in a learning curve and it's really valuable and important to be engaged in the process of learning. Mm -hmm. And if you're learning something, that means you don't already know that thing. So if you're not able to do handstand, if you're not able to do this arm balance, I'm going to give you other things to do. But don't kick stones and, and feel bad about yourself. Understand that you're engaged in a learning process. Another thing that I tell people all the time in terms of straightforward tips of what's going on, and I, I make this joke, but it's also, it's also not a joke. It's also the reality, is I say, look, if I waited until I was good at a yoga pose to do that yoga pose, I would have never done a yoga pose. So for those of you that can't lift your feet off the ground in Bakasana, 
that doesn't mean you just get to watch. It's not an all or a nothing game. You have to engage with the process. You have to build the shape. You have to get the arms in the right place. And maybe that's as far as you go in Bakasana today is to figure out that the where the arms go. Mm-hmm. Maybe the next day, the next place you get into Bakasana is to figure out that once you get the arms into place, the hips have to lift. Mm-hmm. Maybe then you have to realize that you have to engage the core. Maybe then you have to realize that you have to lean forward. But we have to, as teachers, remind our students that it's not you can do the pose or you can't do the pose. It's if you can't get the feet off the ground in the arm balance or the inversion, well, what aspects of that pose can you do? Mm -hmm. And can you engage skillfully in the process, Mm -hmm. even though that pose is not cover ready? Right. So that answers one of Kat's, this one segment of her question directly, which is like, instead of teaching to just the advanced students, let's say if you are stopping and teaching an arm balance, you actually directly acknowledge all of the levels in the room. Yes. In an explicit way. Yeah. You, I think in a couple of ways, you address all the levels in the room and you say, look, those of you that are having a difficult time, part of yoga is dealing with difficulty. Mm. You know, like that is one of the things about yoga is learning to deal with not getting exactly what you want when you want it. You know, and so to me, and persevering anyway, and persevering, call that out. Mm-hmm. who originally said this. I feel like I heard this from someone saying it was a Brian Kest statement or something like this, but it's something that I say unsourced because I'm not exactly sure the source, but to regularly be telling people like any amount of the pose is still the pose. Any amount of the pose is still the pose. So if it's bakasana or handstand, any amount of engaging with that shape even if that shape doesn't really feel quite like that full shape yet, Mm -hmm. is part of the pose. You're engaged in the process and you're learning to regulate and breathe in the midst of, you know, quite frankly, not being able to do the thing well. Right. And to know that not doing the thing well is part of the necessary learning curve of eventually doing the thing well. So really explicitly talking about that and, and encouraging people that to understand they're going to be in a different phase, that everyone's going to be in a different phase of that pose and to work on the stage that they're on. Another thing along with this is to acknowledge the frustration. I will say, and this is easy for me, and this is something I talk about with some regularity. And, and when I watch myself practice, the truth is I can do a lot of difficult things, but there's a lot of difficult things that I can't do. And also a lot of the difficult things that I can do, I wasn't able to do, and I was really frustrated. So I understand if someone gets frustrated or disappointed or feels bad when they're I not able to do something. we all do, do from time to time. Like we understand that. Yeah. And so just call out, say like, look, if you're not able to do this, I understand if it's frustrating, but it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. So to not try and whitewash it, to not try to pretend that people don't have the feelings that they actually have but to normalize the range of feelings that people do have. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important because that 
create an environment where people feel allowed to learn and to not be perfect and to feel the way they feel. And it it builds confidence. It builds trust. Yeah. I think it also, it's, it's part of the mind training, you know, that we were, we've been talking about, which is like, you can feel the frustration and still go back and engage anyway. Yes. You can, you know, it's like when you're teaching meditation, you remind, it's like teaching a, a, a puppy potty training. Like the puppy goes somewhere in the house, you put it back on the paper. It goes in the house, you put it back on That's the paper. Right. You just, That's right. you just keep coming back and keep coming back. And so you move through the feelings or you learn how to feel the feelings and move through them anyway. That brings me to another thing that Kat's bringing up is she she referenced being these being power classes. Mm. And, you know, as a vinyasa teacher and, you know, power is in my tagline. So I do teach power yoga to some degree as a vinyasa teacher, as a power based teacher. That's also technical. I also see that one of the upsides is you're on to the next pose soon enough. Hmm. Right. So even if someone is frustrated by the inability to do Bakasana or Parsha Bakasana or handstand or warrior three to whatever, well, they're not going to sit around and kick stones forever because they don't have time because you're going to be on to the next pose. Mm -hmm. That's also part of the challenge with learning is because we're so quickly in a power sitting setting on to the next thing. And I have some sequencing ways to manage that. I was going to say you must have and also ideas of how often to stop and break something down. Yeah, and we'll, let's class. talk about that in a second. Yeah. And let's hit home the point that when you include some poses in a sequence that are not accessible for everyone, the people that it's not accessible to, they're not going to be able to linger over that forever, right? Because you're on to the next thing. And there's something I say pretty regularly after an arm balance or handstand or whatever, I'll say, for those of you that were able to do that, if that was the most amazing thing you've ever experienced in your life, A, I'm sorry, and B, let's move on. Let's move on. That's over now. For those of you that really struggled with that, that weren't able to do that, if you were frustrated or annoyed by that, fine. That's okay. That's a legit feeling, but we're not doing that anymore. Move on. Mm-hmm. So getting people to not hold on to what has happened and to get people motivated to re-engage. Now we're in down dog. Now we're in plank. Now we're in, you know, X, Y, or Z pose. We're not in that pose that was frustrating. Move on, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. be steady and move forward, which is a really important set of teachings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a couple sequencing thoughts that address Kat's question, which is, I've been trying to articulate this to all of my students in the trainings lately, which is that sequencing is not like choreography, that sequencing is more like a recipe where you reverse engineer, right? So what I mean by this is when I teach a class, I want to know what I'm trying to teach. And I want to know the various elements of what I want to teach. And then I work backwards from there. Choreography in some ways is just the way in which poses flow together but we want, to, we want them to flow together in such a way that they form a teaching. So if you are working with handstand, if you are working with parter poses, if you do want to include a more seasoned backbend or whatever it is, where you know that not everyone is going to be able to do that pose, 
then you want to make sure that the lead up to that pose is developing that pose. In which case, when you come up against the pose that some people can't do, you can skillfully say, take a step back. Do that posture that we just did. I'm going to give you an example of this, which is for Bakasana, right? Let's say, not just Bakasana, but let's say I'm teaching the whole Bakasana family, all four poses of the Bakasana family in a sequence. Well, before I do each one, I'm not only going to have warmed up the students, but I'm also going to have done one or two or three poses that is very much like that Bakasana pose right before doing that Bakasana pose. So I'm going to do Bakasana seated. I'm going to do Bakasana reclined. I'm going to do Malasana, the shape of Bakasana, right before we get to Bakasana. So that when we get to Bakasana, if people can't do any of the pose, I'm going to say, those of you that can't do any of the pose, sit down, lift the feet, reach the arms forward, do the exact same version of Bakasana that we just did seated. Mm. Or lay on your back. We're going to do Bakasana two times in a row. Those of you that have wrist issues, those of you that feel like you're totally clueless on Bakasana right now and can't even do the initial stage, then I want you to lay on your back and do the pose reclined like we just did. So good sequencing is really going to factor in. I, I sort of tell people it's like a popcorn trail, right? That a good sequence leads you somewhere. But also it tells you there's a clear trail as to where you've been. When I think about a popcorn trail, I think about Hansel and Gretel's house. And you do not want to go on that popcorn trail, do you? Is that really where popcorn trails first started? I think so. I think you're taking me off topic. I am totally because we got to wrap it up. But we need to look this up. I mean, I just feel like. Hmm. Do you get it? I, I do. You want. Yeah, we need to come up with another metaphor. But yes, you, you want to... Popcorn's usually vegan. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> it appears to all... You can even put nutritional yeast I on I love it. nutritional yeast on B12. my popcorn. It's so good. I don't even really love popcorn, but I love... Popcorn with nutritional yeast? I actually do. It's so good. Let's yes. make some tonight. Yeah. So, but my point is, good sequencing a lot of times is going to take care of the poses that certain people can't do because there's going to be a point of reference. You can say, those of you that aren't able to do Bakasana, sit on your bum, do the pose we just did on... on. Yeah, and then they get the proprioception too. Yes. And they build the, the muscles that they need to eventually, or the flexibility they need to eventually do the pose. And they see that there's a path towards learning, mm. right? People are going to... The they see that there's going to be a progression. Yeah. They see that doing a pose isn't some magical feat, but it's a combination of skills. Right. So when you tell people, hey, those of you that aren't able to do this, that's okay. Build the skill set by stepping back and doing this. So when you give the alternative, you want to make sure that people don't feel like that alternative is a lesser value item, uh. right? It's sort of not like, okay, everyone that's awesome, do this killer hard thing. And all you sad sacks that are pathetic, <laughs> then, you know, do this thing that's totally irrelevant. Right. You, right. You, you. Like sit in child's pose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah like go have a bathroom break that you don't really need. <laughs> but something I learned from you editorially over the years when you worked for Yoga Journal was qualify the benefit. Right. Yep. Tell them, tell them the value. Mm. So those of you that aren't able to do handstand, lay on your back, reach the arms behind you, lift the chest, reach the legs forward, lift this, 
This is handstand on the back. This is going to develop the strength mm. and the proprioceptive awareness to eventually do handstand on your hands. So qualifying the value in the alternatives that you're providing. Yeah. You know, this is a really important piece of advice because otherwise everyone is going to think that the alternative has lesser value and people are going to try to, they're going to check out or they're going to try to upgrade or they're going to feel like they're not doing something that's immediately relevant. So really talking up the value of things Mm -hmm. and letting people know learning's important. This is going to build the strength to that. Dealing with the frustration of not being able to get you what you want is at least as valuable in your life as being able to do the pose. Mm -hmm. You know, so really informing students of the teachings of yoga, of all of the assets and the skill building of not being able to do the hardest thing. Yeah, great. I also like to point out our absurdity sometime. This is actually really important. And I'll jokingly say, and you would keep going with Bakasana, right? But I'll say, okay, you know, those of you that weren't able to do Bakasana, just remember that yoga is really not for you and, and probably no one is ever going to love you. And, <laughs> you know, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your lives. Yeah. And then we all laugh, right? And then those of you that can do Bakasana and press into handstand, like you have such an awesome life. Like your life is so much better. Than everyone else. And everyone laughs at that, right? more pious than everyone else. Right? Yeah. And then I I sort of say, look, of course what I just said is absurd. but And I said it in a way that makes it absurd. But we are all a little bit that absurd. You know, we all undermine ourselves in little ways. Like, we know that the ability to do an amazing Hanumanasana does not make us qualify for a greater place in heaven. Mm -hmm. We know that the inability to not be able to do Hanumanasana awesome doesn't make us some miserable bloke that should never stretch their hamstrings. But we sort of have to call ourselves out. We have to sort of... Well, I mean, I think another way to say this is that it's, it's another way to teach that you don't have to believe every thought you have. We all have the thoughts, but you start to learn in these practices that your mind is like an autonomic, it just, it's on autopilot. You don't always have to believe it. Yes. Our thoughts are often inaccurate. Yeah. And we aren't our thoughts. Calling them out to the degree, like calling out the absurdity of how our mind works from time to time. It's a really valuable thing. Yeah. I mean it with loving kindness. Like, sure. and my teacher, we all have, we all you know, Ramanan Patel who was a teacher of mine for a period of time, used to say all the time, sometimes we have no choice but to laugh at the childish mistakes that our mind makes. We have no choice but to laugh at the mistake and then bring ourselves back and and do our best to not make that mistake again and then laugh the next time the mind makes that mistake. It's just the mind making a mistake. Yeah. I mean, another, what Sarah Powers used to say, I like that because I always love I think humor is so important in spiritual practice. I think it's so important for a happy life. Another way of saying it uh, that Sarah Powers used to say is you notice it as patterned energy. Yes. Like you just, and you welcome it and you say like, okay, hi, hey, see you patterned energy. Moving on from that now. You just welcome it in, let it go. My last plug, and it's under 15 seconds. This, to me, also, the fact that all classes are mixed-level classes, especially in power and vinyasa settings, is a reminder to me 
that as yoga teachers, we want to pitch to our studios beginning series, beginning series. I learned recently, I don't do CrossFit. I'm not that interested in it. But I learned recently that they have these onboarding programs where you have to do these eight classes in order to join the regular class so that you know what a squat is, you know what a deadlift, you know what I mean? So, and I think in yoga, we we need more of this. I think in in yoga, we need more of, this is the four week power program that's going to help you go to the mixed level class. Even if you're in great shape, we have to learn the basics of plank. We have to learn the basics of chaturanga. We have to learn the basics of ujjayi breath. And we have to learn the basics of modification. There's a program that everyone out there can teach and you'll generate good revenue. It'll be good for the studio and it'll be even better for the students. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. And doing it as a series, I think, makes people who are beginners, knowing that they have an end point where they won't be a beginner anymore right. is more appealing right. than just a, an, a drop-in beginner's class. Agreed. Okay. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for listening. As you can tell, Jason and I really do enjoy sitting across from each other and talking about this stuff. It reminds me of the days before kids when we got to just sit and nerd out about yoga for hours and hours. It's really how our friendship began. And there's there's something slightly romantic about still being able to just sit quietly and not be interrupted by anyone or anything or any... Oh, you know what I'm saying. And just talk to each other. So thanks for listening. And if you want to support the podcast, you can buy some swag. We started an online shop. Um, There's yoga land tanks. There's also some Jason yoga tanks and t-shirts and totes. And you can find the shop at jasonyoga.com and click on shop. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice.